0: You're listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons & Simmons, the gaming and immersive tech teams podcast, bringing you insights within tech, gaming, and the metaverse. Hey everyone, I'm Vishal Patel from Digital Business.
1: And I'm James Cherry from Contentious Tax. For this Gatekeepers, we're bringing you a three-part series on the frontier of gaming. To discuss and discord, we are joined by Philip Collins of Convoy Ventures, a gaming-focused venture capital firm based in Denver, Colorado. In part one, we discuss the frontier of gaming, including Convoy's investment focus, their view of the next chapter of gaming, and the jurisdictional differences in gaming development.
0: Look out for parts two and three, where we dive deeper into Web3 and blockchain games, including what they are, what they look like, and where they're going, before discussing potential risks and pitfalls, including the implications of the recent dispute on the Merit Circle Dow. Hi Philip, thanks for joining us today. It'd be great if you could just tell us a bit about Convoy Ventures. Um, and obviously yourself
1: as well, not not just Convoy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And thanks, thank you guys for taking the time today. Um, so Convoy, we're an early stage gaming focused fund uh, based here in Denver, Colorado, in the U.S. And within gaming, what makes us maybe a little unique is the fact that we exclusively focus on platform infrastructure and tech within gaming. And so what that really means for us in terms of what we look at, it's anything that's not a pure game studio is really under our purview within the video gaming market. Um, and in terms of us, you know, we've been around for about four years, uh, I've done a bit over 40 investments across two funds. Uh, we're actually about to start allocating out of our third fund, uh here shortly, which we're really excited about. We know we're hearing a lot of stuff in the market about bear market, doom and gloom. Um, but being early stage, I think that that segment of the market's been a little more insulated so far. And so we're really excited to, to continue allocating and supporting gaming founders over the coming years. Um, I think the, the reason we focus on gaming is the fact that we think that gaming is a great angle at focusing on where people spend their time. And so we, we focus on it as kind of the future of entertainment and interactive media driving that forward. And we believe gaming is a great approach to interactive media and an early indicator of what we think users will do to entertain themselves. And uh, that is how they will spend their time. Um, on my on my own side, I, I came to Convoy from an investment bank, did pretty traditional M&A background. So I was primarily doing sell side M&A. Uh, I also did some buy side work and some public market work. Um, but you know, like most junior bankers, you you kind of exit to a to an investment role. And I've always had a personal passion for gaming. It's always been exactly where I want my career to go. And so it was kind of the perfect alignment of professional experience and personal passion. And I think that's exactly what we bring to the to the founders that we back and the investment processes that we go through is a genuine passion for games. We're all gamers ourselves, um, but also really an effort to to push the market forward.
1: That's really, really cool. So. Obviously, you were saying that um, the Convoy is invested in about 40 different investments across the industry. When looking at Convoy, I was quite interested in sort of your tagline that you're investing in the frontier of gaming. Um, how would you sort of describe and where, where are we at on the frontier of gaming? Obviously, we all know about sort of big studios and AAA games and things like that. But where where does Convoy and where do you see yourself sitting in that frontier, I
2: guess? Yeah, so in terms of the frontier, I think the way we view that is really the picks and shovels or the underlying infrastructure that enables the gaming industry to continue progressing and moving forward. Um, while it's sometimes hard to believe, and I always have to remind myself, video games have essentially been around for you know, six decades. And over that time, we've tran- transformed from these incredibly simple minimalistic digital interface games to full-blown hyper-realistic immersive environments where we can be playing with somebody on the other side of the globe simultaneously synchronously interacting and engaging with with people that we normally wouldn't be and that shift I think has to be framed and, and put in perspective to really appreciate how much has happened over those six decades. And I think in our view, six decades from now, we're gonna have a similar layer of depth added to gaming and gaming will really be in a spot that we probably don't even think could be possible today. Um, and so our job as a VC is really to think about a future that doesn't exist yet. And we, we thought that the, the best way to do that was through the underlying infrastructure that enables this future of gaming. Um, we also have historically just not really focused on a ton of single content risk. It's a it's a great market when your content hits, but it's um you know it's a little trickier to to pick out the the winners on an individual piece of content at an individual piece of time. I think we view the infrastructure layer as more of an ephemeral uh, aspect of gaming that that will continue to be built on, but really you know have a have a lasting impact on a number of pieces of content and really diversifies our position. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think that's really the core of it is preparing the industry for, for the future and the next wave. And I think over time, you know, more tech will become obsolete and more, more advanced applications will, will evolve. And I think we just want to be, you know, 10 years ahead every step of the way. Um, so that, that's really how we view the, the frontier. Um, it's a frontier that we actually don't really know what it will look like yet. Um, and that's, that's kind of the whole point of, of what we do. Um but yeah, that underlying layer is is really what we're excited about and, and keen to invest on over the, the coming decades.
1: Sort, of, sort it's, of like that wild sorry, sort of like the wild west of gaming, I guess you're just looking yeah. for that, that bit of bit of gold in the new, in yeah. the new world as it were.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can you can migrate west and get massive riches. <laughs> yeah uh but, you know, exactly someone may, someone may try and take your land um no <laughs> so i know this this next question may be a bit unfair given that you just said you know we don't know what we don't know what's going to happen but i guess what thing that be interesting is you know you talked about like, the development of gaming in that like, the last 60 years and how i think it's fair to say that like since we you know started with like basic computers talking to each other and then pong and then moving on from that like technology has grown exponentially so in 60 years time do you think that, or from what you understand, or uh, I guess maybe it's just a prediction? Do you think that actually the gradient of that curve, as as you know, as exponential, exponential as it's been in the next sixty years from now, is just going to grow even faster, or do you think we're we're getting to a limit of how much technology can
2: develop? Yeah, it's interesting because I do think you run into kind of a Moore's Law problem where there has been such exponential growth that eventually it's like where do where do you go next? And especially considering we're already at this and hyper-realistic immersive entertainment space. I think what we've seen a lot of is, you know, less improving the the visual fidelity of a game, for example, and the the depth and immersion, but it's almost a changing of the gaming experience. And as we move towards this um, immersive tech, it's just how users interact with it and the capabilities they have as a player. And so I think up until now, games have developed exponentially from a quality perspective, from a reach perspective and an engagement perspective. And I think the engagement piece is gonna be really critical moving forward where the way users experience games, and what it even means to be a video game is, is starting to evolve. And we're seeing this entirely new category develop outside of what you might think of as an FPS or an RTS or an RPG. Rather than just making them look better, it's about novel experiences and novel applications. Um, and so I, I think that's kind of where, where we're preparing for the future. Um, rather than just trying to go from 4K to 8K and see see where we can it get is, the the quality.
1: It is interesting. Yeah. Sorry. It is interesting.
0: Sorry um because like growing up you know when we were like yeah you know, i'm in my early 30s now but like getting you know growing up got my first playstation or whatever the next development was like oh look how great the graphics are oh, yeah you know it's like oh that you know that play that you know that if you play a sports game that player looks like so realistic you know i look back at like there's a the famous meme of like the 2004 shots of lebron james and like nba live versus <laughs> nba 20k uh, 2k 19 and it's yeah and it's it's interesting because with the I guess with if you take something like Roblox, where people can actually create their own games, it almost has a sense of, okay, well, what the user base is, what is changing. It's like, what, how do we interact with this rather than, oh, look how pretty my game looks. Whereas, so I imagine it's a, it's a gradual shift, but almost it's like we've got to the extent of technology where like, yeah, P, the difference between like PS4 and PS5 or the next gaming computer and a gaming computer a year ago, like there are
2: differences, but almost people care a bit less or the user cares a bit less. Yeah and I, and I think that you know your Roblox example is a, is a great one for how we are looking at experiences is one thing that we've spent a lot of time on is user-generated content and how users are able to actually build games of mixed fidelity, right? Everything from Roblox Voxel style to what looks like a AAA game and without needing to code, without needing to have any technical background. I think that's the kind of thing that we're seeing moving forward where the gaming experience is changing not just on the player side, but on the creation side. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that's, a core, that's a core tenet of, of our, our beliefs in the future.
1: Yeah, and just sort of dig a bit deeper into that. I suppose uh, we've sort of been hearing a lot about sort of metaverses across different jurisdictions, I guess it were, sort of how the West creates um, is is looking at it, how China is looking at it. But sort of from that frontier of gaming perspective, are you seeing the differences between jurisdictions and how they're developing their games?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think gaming development is is really interesting because i think maybe we'll, we'll set aside the western game development just because i feel like across the u.s or north america and europe um there's kind of a broad scope to game development. And one thing that we are really excited about is the international development of games and how games are not only from the creation standpoint, but from the playing standpoint, reaching new corners of the world as technology advances and as mobile phones and smartphones become more accessible across the world, we're now truly tapping into this three plus billion gamer market. Um, And around the globe, it's interesting because I do think we've seen that the development style Really does align with the the types of players that you have in a in a given geography. So, for example, in the developing world, we tend to see a lot more mobile game studios, and that makes sense because you know those those people are playing mobile games, and the people around them are playing mobile games. That's kind of their gaming reality and their gaming scope, and so they're building for that scope. Um, and I think that's something we'll we'll continue to see, but we'll also continue to see evolve over time. Um, I think that there's been a lot of new jurisdictions that, that are coming into the game development scene. And that's that's really exciting for us to see. And I think Turkey is one that's that's been particularly cool and maybe one that's been under the radar a bit in the past, but it's now coming onto the global scale where they have become a real leader in the hyper-casual mobile market. And it's been interesting because they, they have three companies acquired by Zynga over the last few years for, for an aggregate of over $2 billion. And I think that it was really cool to see the government's response to that where we're now hearing about all kinds of favorable tax breaks for game studios because they're really trying to execute on that being something that Turkey is really good at. And I think the government takes a lot of pride and wants to have this advantage where, you know, they are known as a gaming hub. Mm-hmm. And so I think we started to see some of these jurisdictions focus on empowering developers And really encouraging them to continue remaining excellent at this thing that they're already really great at. Um, And so, so yeah, I think, I think that's been one thing on the international front. Um, But, but other than that, I mean, a lot of geographies are kind of known for certain game styles um, that match the audience. But I, I do. I think we're really excited from the jurisdiction standpoint on these new developing countries that are getting involved. Um, more developers across the world with different perspectives is always a great thing, just for creativity being unlocked. And so, um, so yeah. The, the, there's obviously then the the other side of this where it's more on the the legal manager man and uh, the legal angle. With you know some countries in the east are maybe a little more resistant to certain types of games, or they have a more of a qualification process for games being allowed. Um, but that's a uh, that's probably another one-hour conversation on its own. No, definitely. I I do wonder
1: if there's gonna with sort of the influx of interest in just to, and to sort of pump. Obviously, a buzzword is obviously the metaverse, and it's mm-hmm. sort of almost like the internet being built by gaming companies. I do wonder if there are going to be more jurisdictions that are going to have these more encouraging tax breaks for developers and things like that, because as we've seen, sort of Poland is one of the world leaders in sort of developers and and, and things of that nature. And obviously, crypto has obviously been a big aspect as well. And so I, I do wonder if these tax breaks are going to become a more a common feature, at least in the UK, we've got sort of R&D tax, tax relief and things of that nature. But I don't think it's been necessarily used and optimized
0: to its fullest potential so to say yeah and i guess just to add to that philip i don't know if you have a view on like the us as well what are the a sort of a, have you seen in some of the investments and things you make are are there certain states that are better for you know having these game developing studios or um because obviously the hubs are obviously uh, probably the west coast right um yeah but I, I, you're, I noticed that you guys are based in Denver, for example. Mm. So, you know, I guess uh, to the extent you've got any comment on that, that would also
2: be pretty interesting to add to James's point. Yeah, we, I, f- I feel like we haven't seen anything too specific where, you know, if you look East, Korea has the government really pushing for them to be a metaverse leader. And so the government is putting up funds for developers to work on that and make sure that they're progressing that that. Metaverse concept within their own borders for the global audience, and I think Japan is another one that has done the same thing. Where there's a lot of not only support but financial uh, incentiv- incentivization to to really build out the next wave of the metaverse. I don't think we've seen anything on a state-by-state basis here in the U- U.S. Where it's you know state tax breaks or state um, funding for your for your projects in a way that's different than traditional gaming. Um, I think we very well may, especially as the digital world becomes more important. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing too specific has really been of note in the US yet. I think honestly the the Asian market has kind of been leading that to date in, in terms of building out whatever the metaverse ultimately is. That's all really interesting stuff. I suppose if um
1: pull out your crystal ball and sort of your you heard it, for, you heard it here first what do you see developing and how do you see the market developing in the next three to five
2: years yeah so there's a lot of a lot of points that are all kind of independent of each other but that I think are going to be important for the collective future of the gaming world um, the first one of those to the to the point on the metaverse we have no idea what that's going to look like what that's going to be um, but regardless I think something we're excited about is the enhanced importance on digital identity and the way people are are perceived in the in the digital world. Um, so, and we we see this across platforms, whether it's a Decentraland where it's kind of a true open world social platform or Fortnite. People care about how they're perceived, the skins that they're wearing. And I think that's a big driver of why cosmetic items and in-app purchases has been such a key part of how gaming is monetized over the last decade. Um, people genuinely do care about their appearance, uh, just as you would in the real world, that is also applying increasingly over your your digital identity as well. Um, To our point earlier on how gaming proceeds uh, over the next coming decades and how we're focused on experiences and evolutions outside of just making games look prettier, um, I think one thing that has been really interesting to us has been the opportunity outside of a game for people that make games to understand their users. Um, And so we've invested into this through a company called Solsten. Um, They're focused on understanding users and helping provide actionable insights to create better experiences for those users. And I think that's critical in this next wave where the experiences are not going to be designed arbitrarily by a game studio. You're not just going to kind of take what you get you're gonna have experiences that are really designed based on your psychological profile, your feedback, your insights. And so I think games will become increasingly tailored to the right audience. And I think that'll be great for the LTV of games. I think that'll be great for the retention of games. And so I think these experiences will be more custom and applicable to the people that are supposed to be playing them um, rather than just kind of fit to a genre and hope it works every year. Um, I think other than that, and in the same vein, we've seen over the last, call it 18 months with the, the rise of blockchain gaming, a proliferation of more community driven uh, game development and more, more community driven um, live ops of a game. And I think that is a pretty drastic change from the existing environment where it's a very top-down approach. You have your big publishers, they feed you that content. And so I think in addition to understanding your audience in a maybe a more indirect way, there's also going to be a much more community-driven approach and getting feedback from your users and really allowing your users to be part of the decision-making process and part of evaluating and establishing what a game should look like. Um, And then I go on hand-in-hand with that as well, our point on user-generated content that we talked about earlier. This can also manifest itself very, very directly where users aren't even just providing feedback, they're creating the experiences using a set of tools that are provided by that kind of top company. Um, But they're not only saying what they want, they're giving you what they want and users are able to experience those co-created um, game worlds, um, and then lastly, to our to our point on jurisdictions, I do think we're really excited about the opening of new markets. We we've seen Africa, Southeast Asia, India, all become massive markets. They've they've been there, but. A lot of times the the technology has been kind of limiting in the types of games that that users are able to engage with. And so it was just a much more niche market that seems to be opening up day by day in terms of the access and the types of games that that they're willing and able to play. And so, you know, we already talked about the the three billion gamers in the world. You're you're kind of unlocking the next phase and approaching global population levels um, over time through through opening up these, these very large and substantial corners of the market that, that haven't previously been addressed very heavily I guess just to finish on that new markets point it goes back to the point you're making earlier
0: about I guess different jurisdictions having different approaches and I guess that's user base developers whatever uh, I guess I mean do you see a rise in play to earn kinds of games or is that is that is that just me putting two and two together and getting
2: eight no I mean I think I think Play-to-earn has definitely succeeded the most in developing countries because the earn has always been something that is probably less, it's less compelling. The amount that you've been able to earn historically in a game from in the play-to-earn scope has been something that wouldn't necessarily motivate a lot of people in the Western world to spend the time from an earning perspective where it's not enough to be a job and it's a nice supplement onto a game if that game is already fun. But... I mean, we saw, and we will talk about this more about the, the rise of Axie, you know, it was a true job for people and they were earning above minimum wage. Sure. And so that was a core motivator. And so I think it's, it's to be determined if play to earn can ever be substantial enough that it is a, it is a job for most people. I think the, the scale that you need to reach to attract Western countries and be able to provide people a livable wage is an economy in itself. And so I don't know if I can sit here and say that a game is going to be create a full fledged, you know, trillion dollar economy over the coming decades. Um, But I do think it has been more niche because the earn is very focused on that audience that, you know, is able to take meaningful value from the value that they're earning from playing.
1: That brings us to the end of part one, and thank you for taking the time to listen. Please join us in part two, where we dive deeper with Philip into the world of Web3 and blockchain gaming and the related trends and
0: issues. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do like and share on whichever platforms you use. Equally, if you have any questions, would like to discuss anything we've talked about or would be interested in appearing on Gatekeepers, please contact us. You've been listening to Gatekeepers from Simmons and Simmons. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to having you back next time.